of all time to carry the pigskin, Gail Sayers. He had a friend, a cohort, who began as a rival and then ended up being close friends named Brian Piccolo. And after becoming rivals for a while, they, find out, they found out they could run in the same backfield together, had a great half season until Brian Piccolo recognized some symptoms, went to the doctor and found out he had cancer, fast-acting cancer that was about to take his life. And not only did he get weak and out of the thing, he died before the end of the year. But what was interesting is Gail Sayers was a black man, Brian Piccolo a white man. They were the first interracial roommates in the NFL. And that seems so weird to us today. But it was a time when if you'd talk to both of them, Gail Sayers would say, I grew up never knowing a white man. Brian Piccolo would say, I never had a, had a black friend or knew a black person until the NFL brought us together. Toward the end of the season, Gail Sayers was awarded the most courageous player of the year award. And he went to, to pick it up from, I think, New York City. And him and his wife were going to travel with Piccolo's and pick this award up. But Brian Piccolo was in the hospital, couldn't go. And so he went to receive the award. And he stood up before them and he said basically something like this. You flatter me with this award. But I just want you to write, know right now I'm accepting it for Brian Piccolo. He is the man that deserves the most courageous player of the year award because he has dealt with cancer and he's fighting for his life right now. And I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna deliver it to him as soon as I can get it to him. And then he said this, this is kind of famous. He said, I love Brian Piccolo and I'd love for you to love him too. And tonight when your knees hit the ground in prayer, would you ask God to love him too? Well, I'm sitting on the floor in my living room and I'm starting to go, and, I, and my, my, I, I, my, I'm starting to sweat from my eyes. And I'm a high school kid, like a junior in high school, football player, thinking, man, this is gonna be a good football pro movie, and then all of a sudden they throw this at you. And I look around and I, I see my mom and she's crying. And my dad, my dad is crying. Now here's what caught us so much. Here's what got me. Up to this time, I don't think I'd ever heard a man say to another man, I love you. I hardly heard a man say to a woman, I love you. Like my wife, kind of, I, never, I hardly heard that in our, in our house. This I do know. I never heard a black man say to a white man, nor a white man to a black man. I love you. And I, I sat there and listened to that and I went, oh my goodness. There's some power in this, this thing called love. And then up to this moment, I had never seen my dad cry. Never. I remember when my grandma died and uh, we were at the funeral and everybody's all broken up and crying. I look at my dad, he's just sitting there. And I remember going up to him afterwards and saying, dad, did you cry? Did you cry at grandma's funeral? And he goes, well, no. He goes, you know, a couple days ago, um, it kind of got to me. I went out, we lived in California. I went out in the Orange Grove and cried a little bit. And after that, I was okay. And I felt I needed to be strong at the funeral for everybody. What he was telling me at a young age is, men don't cry. And if you happen to cry, don't let anybody see you. And now I'm looking out of the corner of my eyes and I see my dad's crying. 
And I went, oh my goodness. Wow. Love is moving in his heart. Love is bigger than the color of our skin. Love is bigger than our ethnicity and our prejudice and our, our biases. Love is bigger than this manly thing or this womanly thing or whatever. Love, love just kind of breaks down all barriers. Back in those days, there was a song that's still kind of popular today, if you listen to the oldies at least. What the world needs now is love. Sweet love. Sweet love. There's some, there's some power in love. We're talking about relationships. This is the last in relationships. And talking about the long haul and making it for the long haul. And the scripture this, this um, time around this week is, is about pressing on and going on. And whether in your marriage relationship or your friendship relationships, to, to make it for the long haul. And here's what I want you to know. In order to make it in the long haul, not only do you need love, sweet love, you need, you need the love of Jesus. You need to love like Jesus loved. And that takes a whole different dynamic in our life than what we ever recognize and realize. I want you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, or I think it'll be up on the screen, the 13th chapter of John. And uh, in that chapter, if you ever go through the book of John, it goes, to the, you know, it goes from the very beginning, it goes from pre-existent Christ all the way to when he's resurrected and he goes up to heaven again. And it's boom, 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 fast acting. And then in the 13th chapter, it just slows down. And you spend four chapters in one night called the Upper Room Discourse, where he's going to gather his disciples together. They're going to do the Lord's Supper like we're going to do at the close of, this, of our service today. And then he's going to go to the cross after he promises them the Holy Spirit. And he starts to talk to them in the most intimate words, the most powerful words of love that you'll ever hear. Just listen to this first verse. Jesus is gathered before them up in this upper room with his disciples. He said it was before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that his time had come, time for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Let that sink in for just a minute. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself made flesh, now with his 12 disciples, shows them the full extent of his love. All the love you could possibly muster up from God that can possibly be thrown on a group of people and have them survive is, is shown to them. And in the words he speaks, in the actions he does, leading all the way to the cross, the full extent of his love. Wouldn't you love to be in there? Wouldn't you love to just be sitting there and have the full extent of God's love poured out on you? What does it look like? That word, full extent, some versions say, he loved them to the end. The Greek word, he loved them, aistelos, to the very end, to the utmost, to the uttermost, to the full extent. It's a quantitative word, and it's a qualitative word. It's a qualitative word of, of how much love is here for God's love to show. It's, it's, like, it's like if I said to you, I love you, and you would say back, I love you more. Well, I love you to the moon and back. 
Well, I love you to Mars and back. Well, I love you to Pluto and back. Jesus would say, I love you to eternity and beyond. That's my love. You want to talk about long-lasting love in our relationships? It's the kind of love, it's the full extent of love in us that then extends the love that we have for our spouse or our children or our, our friends or whatever. It's that kind of love. It's a qualitative love to eternity and beyond. It never gives up. It never lets go. It never fails. The full extent. And it's, it's this qualitative love. It's this, it, it's this quantity as well. It's this, um, it's this, it's this idea of, of taking that love and, and you, you can't even fathom the, the heaviness and the thickness of this love, so that Jesus is going to do something that just blows everybody away. While they're gathered together, unannounced, he stands up and he walks to a basin of water and he grabs the water and he goes to his disciples and he washes every one of their feet. Everyone. Which was kind of a ritual in those days, but also a, a cleaning thing because they would travel and they're going to have dinner together and it's you want to, you want to, so usually they have a servant to do this, but there's nobody invited a servant. And Jesus goes and he, he washes the feet of his disciples. He looks into the eyes of the guy who's going to betray him in just a few short hours. And he washes his feet. He looks into the eyes of the guy who's going to deny him in front of a bunch of middle school girls, really. And he washes his feet looks into the eyes of the guy who doubted that he ever, that he ever um, was, was who he said he was and wanted to, to see him even after resurrection prove that he had gone to the cross. Thomas, doubting Thomas. And he washed his feet. And then he said this, see what I've done? You see what I've done? Now, you too ought to, and I want you to pause just for a moment, because we've heard this story before. We know that he's going to say, well, you ought to wash one another's feet. But if you're sitting around there for the first time, just, just hang on to that. You've seen what I've done? Now you too ought to. I'm your Lord. I'm your teacher. You ought to. I'm thinking if I'm there, I ought to wash Jesus' feet. He's the Lord and teacher. Who am I? that he would wash my feet. In fact, just the, the, the week before that, they're at a dinner party and a woman comes in and washes Jesus' feet with his most expensive perfume and dries it with her hair. And Judas, the, the treasurer of the whole place, is going, whoa, whoa, whoa that's too expensive. We, you know, we, we had Matthew 25 thing coming up here. We should use that money for that. We got world vision. What are you trying to do? And, and Jesus says, well, hang on just a second. Hang on just a second. Worship me for me. And every one of the disciples are sitting there going, we kind of blew it then. Judas was our spokesman. We all are thinking the same thing. And now, now we had the chance to wash Jesus' feet. Wouldn't you step up to that? I sure would. If I could wash Jesus' feet, be at his feet, and just pour out my heart to him, I'd do that. And they're probably sitting there going, ah, blew it again. There was our chance. I could have been the one to step up. And I could have been the one. And, I'm so dense. Oh, you, would, you would think it would be, you ought to wash the, the teacher's feet, the rabbi's feet, the Lord, 
the son of God's feet. He says, no. You seen what I've done? You ought to wash one another's feet. Because there's something about love that changes a life. And then he, then he tops it all off with this verse of scripture. And I want you to just to kind of take this one with you. Verse 34 of that 13th chapter. He says this, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. A new command I give you. A new command I give you. A new command I give you. Love one another. If you're sitting there going, what's new about that? I mean, in 2018, love one another is certainly not a new command. Back then, it wasn't really that new. I mean, loving God was, was something they heard from, from birth. And loving one another was being thrown on that. And God would, 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 through different prophets and even through Jesus himself, talk about loving. How's this a new command? What's, what's the new command about it? Here's what I think. And I give this to you because if you can put this new command into your relationships, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you have a long-lasting relationship. Why would it be a new command? I think one reason that he would say it's a new command is evidently they didn't get it the first time or the second time or the third time. They'd been with him for three years. He's trying to teach them to love one another. And evidently they, they can't get In fact, going into this whole situation, they're arguing about who's the greatest. Hey, Jesus, when you go up to heaven, can I sit on your left and my brother on your right? You know, my mom said that you know, he probably would let us do that because we're kind of your favorites. And don't let someone in. They're, I'm greater. He's greater. He's not as good. Here's his disciples going with that. And it's like the very reason you didn't wash one another's feet to begin with is you can't get it in your head. <laughs> Love one another. Serve one another. It's not about you. You're not first. There's power in love. So if I just say it again, it's a new command. Would you hear it with fresh ears? Because we're going to the cross. This is the most, this is the most intense time you'll ever hear. Would you hear this? If you don't hear hardly anything else, would you hear this? Love one another. I think it's a new command because they're so used to a Jewish religion that the tone of that religion was not love. It was the law. It was very legalistic. The tone was set by Pharisees who, if you didn't look like them, act like them, walk like them, talk like them, they didn't have anything to do with you. If you were an outsider, they would never come around you. If you were a sinner, a quote sinner, and you just brushed up against them, they would have to go and ceremonially cleanse themselves for about a week because you just messed their whole life up. They would never want to be around you. And there was law. After law, after law, after commandment, after another, 611 laws to obey. And now Jesus says, hey, I've got one more for you. And this is the most important one. They're going, oh, great. That's what we need. 612. Think about that. 612. You don't do real, real well with 10. The top 10. Throw another 600 on there. That's the tone of that religion. And he wants to say, here's a new commandment. And this is, you get this, you got it. If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. But I've got something else 
to add to that. It's a new command because I'm going to take it one more step. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. I'm going to raise the bar. Not just love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Can you love your, your husband or your wife that way? Your parents, your children, your grandchildren, your friends. They don't deserve it. No, they don't. You don't deserve it either. But as Christ loved you, can we love others? Here's how I, here's how I kind of just put it in practical terms. If, uh, if I look at before Jesus... Love and after Jesus' love. Love before Jesus is emotions. Love before Jesus raises the bar is how I feel. I love a lot of things. I love sushi. I love tacos. Really love tacos. Don't judge me. I love the Dodgers. They're playing for the, they're playing for the championship today. Pray for them. I know you will because I can tell you love them as well. Um, I... I've tried to love the Arizona teams, but they break my heart so much, I can't love them anymore. I just love the Dodgers. I love a lot of I, I love my wife. In fact, I fell. I fell in love with my wife. I mean, you talk about, I fell for her. And here's the a, here's a really weird thing. She fell for me. <laughs> She fell. And I know the day it happened. We're, we're back in Washington. I was a youth pastor and she was working in a beautician in the beauty shop. And we were working with teenagers and we had a big church picnic. We we're playing volleyball. And the, the chairman of the board was one of the biggest developers in the whole area up in Washington. And he loved volleyball. And he would always say, Don, get, get everybody together. We're going to play volleyball. Put our team, give us the strongest ones because he wants to win. And so I would line my team up and I had all the, the stud high school kids that were with me, and, and I brought Lori in just to stand by me, you know, kind of thing, and, and, and she was a pretty good volleyball player, and we're playing, and, and all of a sudden, here comes the ball, and it's heading right for Lori, and I'm going, here, Lori's going to show herself strong, and it, and it just goes, boop, bopped right off of her. I don't know if it was her head or her shoulders, whatever, just boop, and, and this guy, his name was Milo, looks at me and goes like, did you invite her on our team? Because I'm not understanding this. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, all the youth group goes, start, start going, Don, she was looking at you. That's why she, she was looking at you. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? And then this guy Milo comes up to me and goes, yeah, she was. She was looking at you. And he said, Don, I think, I think she's falling for you. And I'm thinking, well, of course. I mean, <laughs> of course she is. Now, that's when I knew. That's when I knew. That's the kind of love that's before Christ's love. Everybody has that kind of love. Anybody can have that kind of love. But the kind of love that, since Christ comes, is not just feeling. It's not just emotion. It's choice. It's commitment. It's a covenant. Over 40 years ago now, 40 years ago last June, Lori and I stood before a pastor and we said, for better, for worse, sickness and in health. Till rich or poor, till, till death, do us part. 
About eight years ago, I had a, a spinal cord injury that in an instant changed, changed our life. All our, all our dreams, all our, all our plans and thoughts of how we we're going to spend our retirement years and all that, different, changed. I don't walk the same. I don't go the same places. My, I, don't, I don't enjoy the same things. I, I'm sometimes very hard to live with. I've told my story before to some churches. I remember down in Ahwatukee, I was telling it. And, you know, I go through this thing about perseverance and how God's using all that. And, and uh, people always come up, oh, you know, thank you for sharing that, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't mean blah, 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 but blah, blah, blah. And um, this one guy comes up and goes, after I told, I told about, you know, how, 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 our, how I get through it and how Lori loves me and cares for me through all this. He goes, I, I want to meet Lori. He goes, I want to meet Lori. And she was talking to somebody. I said, Lori, come over here, this guy. This is Ron. He, he wants to meet you. And he looked at her and he started to tear up. He goes, I just want you to know you're a hero. You are a hero. I just want to meet you. Because a lot less than what happened to Don happened to me. And my wife left me. And I just want you to know you're a hero. And I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, you know what? I've taken that for granted. She doesn't deserve that. I don't deserve it, but it's me. <laughs> I don't have a choice. She doesn't deserve that. That's not what we signed up for. Oh yeah, we did. For better, for worse. Sickness and in health. She, she, doesn't, she doesn't deserve that. I don't even deserve that, but I know the way Christ loved her. I know the way Christ loved me. I know the way we love one another because of Christ. And she's still here because there's power in that kind of love. That's called choice, commitment, and covenant. Nothing I can do to break the power of Christ's love in me. And if I'm going to live long in a loving relationship, it's because of Christ's love through me to one another. It's not emotions with Christ's love as I've loved you. It's not, it's, it's not even optional. It's essential. It's a commandment. It's a commandment. You know why it's a commandment? Well, you know why it's a new command? Because we wouldn't do that on our own. That's not natural. That's not normal. I love you for time. I love you because of what you can give me. I love, but to love you like Christ loved? That, it's, he said, it is so distinctive. It is so different. People will know you're a Christian because you love, like I loved you. That's how, that's how different it is. So that every time I get into a situation, I ask myself, how would Christ love this person? How would he, how would he love them? I'm not, naturally, I'm not naturally a patient person, but Paul says love is patient. I'm not really that kind of a person, but Paul says, love is kind. It's not self-seeking. I lean towards self-seeking. But the commandment is, hey, I'm not going to lean into my own stuff. I'm going to lean into what Christ's love is all about. It's that distinctive love that raises the bar that people will look at you and go, man, that's, you're different. You love differently. You're different because of Jesus. Last thing I'd say about this kind of love. It's not fair. Love is fair without Jesus. Love is not fair 
with Jesus. It's not fair. Fair is you get what you deserve. Fair is you treat me right. I'll treat you the same way, maybe. But you better treat me right. I don't want to get political, but there's been kind of a big rub, rubbub, hubbub, whatever. Have you noticed in the news? Um, Judge Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford. I don't know. I don't know enough to know enough. I just, I can tell you this. One of them's lying. <laughs> I'm not a real rocket science. One of them's lying. Somebody's lying in this thing. If she's lying, oh, that makes me mad. If he's lying, oh my goodness, how are you getting, how did you get to that point? Somebody, it'll come out. I don't know if it'll be a week or a month or a year or a decade. It'll come out. It all, truth always comes out. I don't know who's lying, who's not lying. I just know this. I would go, what's fair here? What's fair? That's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. There's so much pain. There's so much. It's because it's not fair. What's just? Here's Jesus. Here's, here's the love of Jesus in this whole thing. When he said, my 10-year-old my daughter said to my wife, Mom, we need to pray for that lady. That's not fair. That's grace. Out of the mouth of babes, the love of Christ speaks. Don't know where this is going, but I tell you what, that's the gospel story right there. Because I don't like it in the New Testament. It says anybody can love somebody if they love you. You can love your neighbor, but how about loving your enemy? That's another story. How about loving somebody when they persecute you? That's the place I like to get the exacto knife and cut out and say, that's not in my Bible. I don't know where that came from. It's too difficult. <laughs> And here's the way it goes in marriage. Marriages without Jesus' love is 50-50. What's fair? What's fair? With Jesus' love, it's 100%, 100%. So that when in Ephesians, when he talks about women submit to husbands, and husbands are going, yeah, and then all of a sudden he says, well, hey, hey bozo, you, you lay your life down for her. And back in those days, our culture was more twisted than it is today. Wives... We're, we're known for two things, giving birth and raising kids. Husbands, their whole sexual conquest and sexual identity was outside the marriage bonds. Why would a woman respect and submit to a man like that? A husband like that? It's crazy. Husbands, why would they ever lay down their life like Christ laid his life down for the church for women like that? He, they're just using women. And Paul says, you want to make a mark on this? On this culture, women, would you respect your husband? Submit to him. Husbands, would you lay your life down? Would you die? Would you sacrifice for her? Because there's a quality of love that comes that will change the world. And one of the most attractive things of the early church was how Christians did their marriages and families. They're so different. There's power in love. There's power in love. As Christ loved me, I'm going to love you, whether you deserve it or not. That's how we make long-lasting relationships. And Jesus said, as he closes up these four chapters, not only is the standard high, the capacity to love increases because I'm going to send you a person called the Holy Spirit who will live in you. And with him living in you, with the Holy Spirit living in you, your capacity to love will expand. So the, the standard I'm, I'm, I'm holding up, you're empowered by his spirit to live.
Would you love your husband like Christ loves you? Would you love your wife like Christ loves you? Would you make the culture of this church love that's bigger than who we are socioeconomically, age-wise, color of skin, politics, whatever you want? You can even love a Dodger fan because Christ loved you. I know that's pushing it. Here's what Jesus did to kind of cement it. He said, you know what? He took some bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. I'm going to the cross. Eat this and remember. Remember I love you. He took a cup and he said, this is, a, this is my blood that's poured out. It's a new covenant. That new covenant that represents the new command of love like I've loved. And he said, as often as you eat this and drink this, would you remember? I'm with you. I'm in your midst. The worship team is going to come back and we're going to have one last song and I'm going to invite you to come to the table and to remember the new covenant, that new love. But more so, by doing so, to take on this new command. Can you put the new command in your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we recognize that, that you've loved us in, in a way that's just not natural. It's not even normal. It's divine. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. With that gift comes a love that we've, we've never experienced before. With that gift, you help us love one another. Today, as we take these, these elements of bread and in this cup, I pray that, that you would do something in the hearts and lives of husbands and wives, and in all of us as we, whatever the relationship might be, that we can come and take this bread and cup and, and, and die to ourself, and die to our sin, be raised up to new life that's evident by a new kind of love. In Jesus' name.